This is the BAM School Podcast, where we talk about business adventure and mission with your host, Buddy Rathmel. All right, we are going to do a Christmas edition of the BAM School Podcast. I'm uh, actually back in Thailand, standing in front of my Christmas tree, because when I returned, my wife informed me she had sold one of the bookshelves that made my beautiful backdrop for the first 15 or so episodes of the podcast. I'm here with uh, Evan Kubasek, uh, also known as Coach K. He's the Indiana Jones of Business's Mission or Social Entrepreneurship. Uh, he's also a, a professor of business at Eastern Illinois University, um, married for over 17 years and father of four boys. And he's been all over the world doing business's mission and uh, has a lot of just great knowledge on the subject. So, Evan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Yeah. So uh, give us like just a, a 60 second uh, kind of background on your life to this point. Sure. Um, diving into, I, just, uh, I always remember um, thinking that the idea of teaching sounded interesting. My parents both ended an education. Uh, so I like the idea of teachers, but teachers were poor. So like, I don't want to do that. You know, maybe, maybe I'll go into business. So I get into business. I'm like, well, maybe HR, cause that involves people. And then I learned what HR was and I was like, absolutely not. Um, so my wife and I ended up starting a coffee shop with friends in college who got through that first experience of what does it look like to struggle with purpose and profit and mission? And what is that line between business and what's business and what's missions? And then actually going into YWAM um, after college, I finished my MBA, so I did my MBA. And then we went into uh, work with YWAM and got in that space and got a I think a bigger first time having grown up as a, as a believer, but not really understanding what the kingdom of God was until around that season. And then it was just eye opening to say, like, I can do anything Like we could do it. It's all kingdom. It's all good. And then go down that route. So I think then the next 10 years, we're just kind of like diving, exploring all those types of things, but not truly being an entrepreneur, realizing that I love building things, but I don't need to be in front. I don't enjoy that position. Um, but helping entrepreneurs build out what they do is what I do. I'm very entrepreneurial, um, but actually being in that role is not my primary gifting or calling. Uh, so coaching entrepreneurs, helping them to build, grow what they're doing and bring that all together to make sure that they are having the impact that um, they could be having or that God wants for them. Um, that's measurable. That's observable. That has their strategy behind it, but it's also led by what God's trying to create. Um, you know, but also uh, that teaching kind of came back around. So yeah, I get to teach at a university. I really identify with the Indiana Jones and the last crusade where he comes back to school and there's kids all over his office and he climbs out the window to escape grading. That's <laughs> the part that I really identify with the most. Um, you know, and then the adventure part clearly. So yeah. more than happy to have and do have um, actively coaching businesses now, but always willing to jump on the plane, you know, dive right into a business model, help something, build something out. That's uh, and so the teaching makes me a better coach and the coaching makes me a better teacher and they work together really, really well. That's cool. So you spent, um, I know you spent some time in Nepal and Kenya and America. You helped uh, businesses mission, get some different things going. Yeah. What were some of the things that you did for them? The, as a, so we first, when we first left the school, um, first left, so we, we did everything you know, with YOM, 
Um, there's an, an intro school that you do. So we did the intro school and bopped around, did all the short-term things, teaching English to Buddhist monks and building roads and all, and taking, at this time we have two kids. So we're dragging our two little boys with us all over Cambodia during an outreach, then come back. And then uh, YWAM had just started a whole new training school in Thailand. So we went to Thailand, did that, and went off to Indonesia and saw projects and came back. And then ended up working with a YWAM base short, very short time in the kind of community development piece in Mexico. And then I then I officially started teaching for the very first time. Um, that kind of opened up the season of what 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 should I do, right? Because I um, I know I don't want to start a business, um, but I definitely want to be involved in this. And I you know I I enjoy this coaching role, but at that time still I was 27. And I still remember there was someone in the school like, well, why would anyone listen to you, right? You're, you're 20, 26, 27, you haven't run your own business. Although at that time I'd run a business for five years, you know, running the coffee shop as with ownership authority, but not the owner Yeah. and just kind of learning. So uh, then I was able to dive into so we, lots of different projects, different places, going to different, different, uh, different, yeah, different countries, different business owners, working with them on short-term projects and things. Um, but eventually was able to work with a company that was, had been in Nepal for a while, but they were transitioning their business model and joined them. And that grew, it grew like crazy. You know, we went from, when I came over, there's about 30 employees and they were doing traditional web apps and, um, just kind of building short, small, smaller size software projects, and then got into a large, large crowdsource data entry model and, um, piloted out a project with 25 workers. Then about a year and a half later, we were pushing over a thousand, got up wow. to over 3000 people and then launched another office in Africa and then a sales up in the U S. So there was, so seeing the size and the scale and the scope of a tech company applied in, um, in this world of application of faith and loving people well and introducing them to a relationship with God that really, you know, no one, there's not a lot of examples of that, um, especially within the BAM community of, there wasn't any, the specific business model had really never been done before in the world. It was the first ever. Um, but then the size and the scale and the scope within the BAM community of something like that with the, the intentionality of not an emphasis on evangelism, but an, an emphasis on how do we, how do we introduce people to a discipleship relationship where they get to choose and some of the, um, in the, and in, uh, introducing them to biblical principles asking them to try them out and seeing the fruit in their lives and then kind of going from there at scale. I mean, like with thousands of people with the impact that that has, and that was just, it was life-changing. And then it was, it was just, and, and it gets you and it whets your appetite to see that even more and to know yeah. that um, small thinking with projects just doesn't, God loves everyone, everything, you know, yeah. but it's great whenever we're willing to, not limit ourselves and allow allow things to grow much bigger than we when we have the faith for. Yeah. Um, I, I see there's we have a there's a big a lot of a lot of the BAM community puts um, limitations on themselves that God doesn't. Yeah, for sure. I, one of my mentors, um, who is actually a neighbor and friend here in Thailand, um, years ago. I, I was going to the Philippines to recruit some missionaries for some work in Cambodia. And I get on the plane and I feel like God says, you're not going to recruit missionaries. And I just was like, well, why am I going at the time? I yeah. was too busy. 
and I ended up getting to see a, a movement of God and um, it had started now it's been about 30 years ago with this, my friend and another guy discipling for cadets at the police uh, academy in the Philippines. And now 30 years later, um, they've seen over a million people come to Christ. Like every, um, every police officer in the Philippines meets with a pastor every week in a small group. And it's just like the change is, you know, like 30 years ago, the police, in the Philippines were doing the drugs. They, yeah. they were selling the drugs. They were doing the trafficking. They were, and it's just completely changed in 30 years. And it started with two guys discipling four guys and that just exploding over, over time, you know, that's awesome. And yeah. I do think that, um, yeah. Thinking of ways. Yeah. Just dreaming with God and, and seeing what, yeah. What he wants to do. I think, I, I don't know. You're a coach and I'm a coach as well. I was just talking to somebody recently and I was using the analogy of like, um, the, the spies going into the land and, you know, uh -huh. yep. and there's a little song when you're little two were good and 10 were bad. And so I just, I said to him, I'm like, I don't know. I, maybe that's the number of people that actually fulfill kind of their dreams and the destiny of that maybe it's like one out of six. I, I don't know what the number is, Yeah, but it's not, I know it's, it's not a crazy, it's not a crazy analogy because there is um, at, at the very least um, the analogy holds true with the people who step into entrepreneurial roles. You know, there's yeah. a lot of people that have entrepreneurial ideas, but the people that are actually crazy enough to do it and have the energy to push through to make it happen. It's that, it's that much 10, 20% absolute most. Yeah. And I, I see it all the time with people that I'm like, you know, they, they have this dream, whatever it is, it could just be to get married, not just to get married. Like that's a big deal, but it could be to yeah. get married, have a spouse, have a family, have a business, have a coffee shop, write a book, whatever. Um, but I just, yeah, I see a lot of people not getting there for whatever reason, you know? And I mean, and that's, that is one of the reasons why coaching is so effective as a, as an asset, um, to have yeah. someone in your life that can, um, that's not directly emotionally invested into what that thing is and, um, and doesn't care what form it takes. It doesn't really matter, but is willing to help you identify what are the limitations that I've placed on it, on myself or on the, on the thing. And how do I get practical with it? You know, it's, if you went to the Philippines saying, I want to create, I want to, I want to bring a million people to Christ. And then you're like, oh, I just got to work with these four stupid police officers. <laughs> you're just, you're just disappointed in your heart and your, your reaction to them isn't what it needs to be in order for yeah. them to get the DNA and the culture that they needed for that to, to happen. Whereas you're like, this is an amazing opportunity. I love these guys. And that's all you're focused on at that moment is that those are completely different approaches and levels of energy that you're investing into people when you're thinking that way. So having, 100%. having that ability to know, like it could turn into something it may turn into nothing. And regardless, I'm going to just love well and give fully. Um, but also not limit yourself to think that, well, this is, this is all that it could be. And this is all that yeah. it should be like to, to, to call and expect something bigger, but be totally happy in the moment with what you're doing with those people. Yeah. For sure. What are some of the principles that you feel like, you know, God has given you as you coach 
um, kingdom minded entrepreneurs, what is, what are some of the things that you like to take yeah. people through? Um, I think there's, there's an aspect of, and, and this isn't, I mean, this isn't unique and special, um, to anything with BAM. I think it's in general, most good startup companies and, and, and coaches realize that the DNA and the behavior and the character of the founder is what builds the startup and the organization. So as starting with the individual entrepreneur and where you're at, if you're either in it or starting one, taking a look at it, am I worth following as a person? Yeah. How, how am I leading myself? How am I leading my family? Um, how am I involved in the community? I think there was one thing for a while there where I truly was, um, I loved every moment of work and what I was doing and how we were doing it. And I can saw a complete integration of my faith in what I was doing every day to the point where I'm like, I don't need to do, I don't need to do anything else discipleship or ministry wise after my time at the office. Cause I've been doing it all day. Um, which is also, I think a ditch that you, we shouldn't fall in, you know, every, yeah. every moment, every, every opportunity that we have outside, even if work is amazing, even if you have a fully integrated lifestyle, where you're hearing the voice of God and obeying his principles and, and doing it in the workplace, you still got the fruit stand down the street and you still got, if you're overseas, you know, or you've still got people in, that you're interacting with at Walmart or stores um, that you can be discipling and processing and doing stuff with your family. Um, so that's just a specific example of working at the, you know, within yourself first, you got to be yeah. able to make sure that you're leading, truly leading by example, that people can follow you as you follow Christ. That's not yeah. happening. It doesn't matter how great the business is or what other projects you have going outside the business. It's just destined to fall apart. It can't, yeah. it can't grow beyond that level. So at in, in individual side, um, organizationally, and I think, I think God does give people giftings and callings and special things, and we can access different gifts of, of, that God has for us to be able to, to play things out organizationally. Um, I think he does put a calling on different organizations to accomplish different things. So trying to figure out what is the impact that we can have and in that just like us, it changes over time and you know, what your business accomplishes at one stage is different than what accomplishes in another. Um, the stakeholders that you have, hopefully it's growing. Um, it's not that, it's not that growth is godliness to some degree where if you're not business isn't scaling and growing, then you're outside of God's will. I'm not saying that um, yeah. there, you may reach a point where this is big as God wants this business to be. Um, I don't say that's more rare than common though. I think yeah. there's a lot of, there's a, there should be a lot of potential for expansion and growth and creating um, employment opportunities, which can creates um, greater opportunity to influence and disciple more people and their families and all that kind of stuff. So, Understanding the vision of your organization, of your business, and what God has for it in that season, um, which then gets into, uh, so what role then does our business play in building the kingdom in this particular area? Because it's a very powerful tool, but it's just one of them. We yeah. still need people who are gifted and skilled in counseling to deal with people who have trauma. Um, we still need people that are going to be able to engage and work with governmental people um, to work on good policy and principles. And so all those aspects outside of the business, the businesses are wonderful and God created them and he loves them and he uses them very in a very powerful way. 
but they're just one representation of the healthy kingdom of God package. So knowing our, so how does our business support the other things that God's trying to accomplish in the kingdom of God as well? So, you know, individual skills and tool sets, what's vision and purpose and skill sets for your business, and then the skill sets that you need to be good at truly investing in the community, uh, the whole helping without hurting reality and focusing on the strengths rather than the weaknesses of an area and calling things out. These are three definitely different areas that require different tools and and and, and approaches uh, in order to see them working and 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 metrics to be able to determine yeah. what success looks like. And what does success look like for me? And what does success look like for my manager or my staff? Um, what does success look like for our organization? What does success look like in this community? And they're all they're all measurable. They're all observable. Um, God defines what success is, but we also need to be aware of what it is and and, and what responsibility we have with them. Um, so that's through all that and just diving into that and really wrestling with that and trying to scale that up across continents with people yeah. has really has led to about five real key things that I've seen repeat themselves over and over again in the in those areas that kind of, I mean, they they cross all three. What and are the five things? So the, the five things that I see um, in terms of impact, I call impact principles, is we always have to start with mindset, um, which so in biblical concept, it's repentance, right? It's the change of thinking. It doesn't matter what tools, resources, people, whatever we bring into a situation. If the mindset doesn't change, it always goes back to the status that it was many times worse than it was before. So if we're not working with um, the way people think about themselves, the way people think about um, organizations that they're part of, or the way they think and view their community, we're not going to have impact in any of those areas. Short-term success, absolutely. We could absolutely see something change in the short term, write the newsletters up and say it's a great success, and then you go back a year or two later, and it's just the same, like I said, or, or not worse, because the yeah. mindset hasn't changed. Um, so changing mindsets, right, takes generally a little bit longer time to shift the behavior at the mindset level. Um, so that's a key one. That's the first one. Second one, the the definitions of what um, wealth and poverty are, and what how do we um, and and what what are we shooting towards, and what are we trying to accomplish, and is if poverty is a lack of resources, which is all the Chalmers Institute content, people are familiar with that. If that's the case, then yeah, just bringing things to the table should solve the problem and it doesn't. So how we view ourselves individually, the relationships we have, are relationships healthy, are relationships broken? Uh, how do I think of myself? How do I think of others? How do I think of the community? What's my relationship with God like? How do I handle resources? All those things. So it's it's the it's the it's the programming of the mindset we need to. So we need to address the mindset, but we got to give it the right OS to work on. Um, so understanding that life is very relational and we got to be tracking and working with those things well uh, is important. And saying at the individual level, um, family level, community level, relationship with God and those in all those directions, are they healthy? And what does it look, what does healthy look like? Um, so that's the second one. Third one, Everybody has resources to work with. So when you start to get into, all right, we've started our business and we want to be a blessing in the community. What does the community mean? The community doesn't need more stuff. That's yeah. not 
it's going back to um, what is the fundamental problem? What is broken? Relationships are broken. So um, now when people are healthy and whole and happy, they probably do have running water and they don't have sewage in their house and all that. So there, yeah. you see the physical changes that happen in a community whenever things start to work better. But working towards those solutions rather than always bringing in a cool tool that will jumpstart something, yeah. um, help, let, allowing them to joke, go through the stages of growth themselves and realizing um, everything they need for the first step they already have. Yeah. It goes back to the mindset thing. So how can I help them in the mindset? So don't just throw resources at problems. It doesn't change the situation. It's that mentality yeah. that has to shift. Um, yeah. When, when we first started an orphanage in Cambodia, my wife came down one time and she was like, oh, you know, they need this for the kitchen and they need that. And, and like six months in, the guy that was running it said to me, hey, can we get a filter to have clean water? And I'm like, what? you don't, you don't have clean water. Like I, I like, I thought that was like, for sure, you know, yeah. I, yeah. Like, I just thought this well was clean and it was just interesting. Like my wife's coming in for the first time to this country going, Hey, let's just give them these things. And it was like, no, really like, this is how they want to operate, you know, and we're just bringing them along step by step. Yeah. And um, yeah, and we, I've seen a lot of things in Cambodia where people just come and bring resources and they actually like destroy community, destroy people because they get all the stuff and, uh, it's not what they need. And in fact, this mentor of mine who started this movement in the Philippines, he gives nothing like yeah. there, there's no, you know, the only thing he'll do is take people from one, one country and bring them to another country so they can help with the training, which, you know, they, these people could probably never afford to do those kind of international trips. But as far as like support, there's nothing. He's like, I do training and that's it. Yep. And I've seen that to be huge. So what's oh, the yeah. fourth? So the fourth, the, I mean, the fourth one is that, so it's, it's not even just the resources. It's the, whoever solves the problem just became the owner of the problem. Hmm. So don't solve other people's problems. Now, that doesn't mean you don't stay with them. It doesn't mean you don't talk it through with them and help them identify what the problem is and what resources they have and how they're thinking about it. So, so don't detach yourself from the problem. Mm. Don't avoid it. Walk with someone as they're solving it. But if they say, what should I do? They can say, well, what do you think? I mean, have that coaching conversation where you're helping them explore the problem. And it's okay to say, this is what I've done in the past. That's okay. But don't specifically, you need to do this. Once yeah. you, then all of a sudden they've just transferred emotional ownership of the problem to you. And yeah. when something goes wrong, which it will at some point, yeah. then it's like, well, they, they're the one that suggested that they're the one that has to fix it. So I get to, I get to not take the next step to fix it because yeah. this was their solution, not mine. So people have to take ownership of the solutions that they're bringing to a problem and, and depend upon the scope of the mental scope that the person you're working with has the first problem that they're willing to solve might be like their bedroom, their office, you know, their own clothes. I mean, you have to start with where they're at and slowly build that out until they do have broader vision for what they can be involved in. Um, but giving, giving people solution for a problem that they don't have vision for, um, that's once again, it just never lasts. It never works. Um, yeah. 
Which brings us to the last one, at least for now, that I've seen is the idea that nothing worth doing ever happens fast. Yeah. That you're going to have to be willing to slow down. Like, well, I'm here for six weeks, so it's got to like, good luck. Like, yeah. as long, um, even if I'm here, for, I mean, it's not that we shouldn't drive and push to see as much happen as we can, and we don't want to limit things, but it's also, um, Jesus had to wait a few thousand years in order to get something yeah. done. So there's there's an aspect of timing that it's in God's hands when things will actually happen. Um, and we have to be willing to work at the pace that people have um, capacity for. And yeah. building capacity takes much longer than just dropping in a resource and saying, boom, there you go, solved. Run with yeah. it. And then when it yeah. starts working, then we get angry with them because they didn't follow your advice. Well, yeah. They weren't doing probably what God even intended for them in the first place because they were, I mean, you you became God in the situation and yeah. got angry when they didn't follow your law. Yeah. Which is yeah. not anything like how Jesus operated in any way. Yeah. That's good. I, I'm wondering how that applies to like, like I always think of um, like places in Cambodia, like when you were there in 2007 and eight, Yeah. Uh -huh. probably half the country didn't have clean water at that oh, time, yeah. you know? It was rough. Yeah. And so there's some things where, like, I've always thought, well, bringing clean water, like, that's something. But even that, you could coach and involve and, and have people involved in the in the process of, of creating the clean water. Yeah. Um, like, yeah. Where, 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 where have you seen people get clean water from before? Yeah. What does it look like? I mean, how, how do you know, how do you clean water? I mean, yeah. it's not like they're like, well, they've, they've seen it. They know that it's possible. They've probably seen a water purifier somewhere before. Like, yeah. well, what, what resources do you have now? Like, um, and if it's no, we don't have the resources to create our own. We do have to go out and buy a filter from somewhere, a technology. Yeah. And there's so many technology, water cleaning, purification, filter technologies yeah. in the world now. Um, but even if they can't recreate something locally, which is always, I mean, that's one thing where I always start with in terms of a, a, a level like um, different, and it doesn't matter where, economic development in an area, um, you want to try to, how do we use resources we have now to build a solution where we're at rather than importing anything? Um, yeah. Because our goal is always exporting more than importing yeah. um, of technologies. And if we do have to import something, let's try to get something of equal value or greater value that we're exchanging so we can get the best deal on it. Yeah. Um, so if that makes, that might be the next step, maybe the first step, right. You don't have the technology, the resource to solve the problem here. You have to bring in a resource from outside. So what do you have now that you can use to sell or trade to get that thing out of your yeah. local resource rather than who do you know outside that will give it to you or that'll give yeah. you money so you can buy it. Like, no, you, you have the ability now to solve the problem with resources that are already there. I'll, I'll give a specific example of that 2000, whenever 10, nine um, earthquake in Haiti. So we were building the house that I'm in right now. It's, it's a dome house. And the, the guy, I had not built a thing in my life. I had zero construction skills. So I knew we needed to have a house. So I ended up finding someone that builds dome house kits and cuts the frame and since I'm like, right, I, can, I can do that. I can, I can have a mentor that'll tell me what I need to do and I'll just do it as we go and we can stay out of debt. And then the earthquake in Haiti happens and people wanna you know go in and provide resource and aid and you know help rebuild homes. 
And people asked him, hey, do you have any dome kits you could ship down there to do something? Like, yeah, I do. I've got this whole community development shelter all ready to go, and we'll we'll power up all the stuff and ship it in. He's like, Evan, you, this is like he's he's in his 60s. So he's like, Evan, you're young, and you know, do you want to do this? I was like, sure. I mean, I love you know diving and solving problems like this. But here's the catch: we can't import a single thing. Whatever we want to do, we have to be able to do with the resources that are already in Haiti right now. Yeah. And he comes back like five days later with a whole new design with using rebar, tarps, chicken wire, and cement. That's it. And yeah. cinder blocks, if even that. Um, it's like all those things you can find there already or there are, there's already a market for them. Half of it they're still importing. That's a whole other problem in Haiti. But the resources are already there. It's not yeah. going to be dependent upon importing extra things. I was like, that's great. So we go to Haiti. I go to source things out of the local market. It's been about two weeks, and we build a first ferro cement concrete dome that's enough about a 12 foot ceiling you can a family can definitely live in this thing they ended up using it for a classroom right um now this is still one of these things where i'm introducing a technology from the outside but it was we built it together you know yeah. so i was a i was a guide i was a mentor that was introducing them with a tool set but it wasn't me building it. It was, we're going to build this thing together. Here's the information here. Um, but you, but they're also asking for, and, and it's something that's reproducible that they yeah. can do it again. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, you should have been in my life about 10 years ago uh, <laughs> before I started working in Cambodia. One time I had a friend who was a pilot and he said, Hey, I'm, I'm flying to Cambodia you know, is there anything you want me to take? And I was like, oh, yeah, like, let's get bikes for the kids. You know, we had 10 kids at the orphanage. And so they brought over these, like, $250 U.S. mountain bikes to Cambodia. And after, like, six, eight months, they're just, like, broken, yep. sitting on the side. Sitting on the side, can't use them. They don't, they don't have inner tubes that size. They don't have tires that size. And a couple years later, we bought 122 bikes for two orphanages, two villages, and we got them all there for probably about the same price as the Ted American bikes. And those, like all the parts were there. They looked normal. They were things that they used, you know, and um, yeah, it was just, it, it was a totally uh, different situation um, that they still got used and they probably could get sold and they'll be around for 20 years, you know, yeah, like they're not exactly. going to last just six months. And so that's you cool. Know. Yeah. I, I was thinking actually when you, you were, we were talking before the podcast, you were talking about how you come alongside others, you coach, you, yeah. you know, get behind the number one and, and lift whatever they're doing. And, um, I was thinking someone needs to come alongside of you and help you put these thoughts into a book to like get them out there in the world. I think that, those um yeah that'd be great to add to the conversation for sure i'm open if you're a listener and you love organizing you know um someone who has way too many irons in the fire and forcing me to be able to get some content down actually it's funny enough about a year ago the guy in a, in a fellowship that we're a part of his uh, his furnace broke and i was like all right you know here's 300 how much does it cost to fix the furnace about 300 bucks i was like i can loan you the money or um, you can transcribe for me about, you know, however many, a third, you know, 30 hours or yeah, about 30 hours or so of, uh, of stuff, you know, for $10 an hour. 
um, what do you want the loan or do you want to be on the hook to transcribe for me if I send you over audio clips? He's like, oh, I'll do the work. He's more yeah. than happy you know, to work for it because it was work that he could do. He has a computer. He could do it. I have not sent him a single audio file of me <laughs> to be able to transcribe. I mean, I even have outlines for, for these different things at those different levels, the individual and the organization and, and community level. It's, it's there's just a matter of getting myself to sit down. It's so odd because I'm, I hate, I hate sitting down and writing. Um, but putting together a 60-minute slide deck and doing a presentation, I mean, I teach every week, right? So I'm delivering yeah. lectures every single week. So putting together content into a, visually and standing up in front of talking to people for an hour, not a problem. I can do that in a drop of a hat. Sitting down yeah. and trying to write anything out, it's just like, oh, this is impossible. It's my my personal Everest that just never happens. Yeah. You need a coach to help I you. I need a uh, coach. I need a writing coach. Of that, uh... I even had a friend that was like, she was starting <laughs> to help me map out the outline. She was asking me questions and same thing. It just always kind of falls off the radar. I mean, I guess I have, I have four boys right now too. So yeah. our lives are very, totally. very full. So the idea of just like, all right, guys, we won't have family time. I'm going to sit here and write, you know, a book. Right. One of these days it'll happen. I know, but yeah, I, I actually, um, the air got really bad here in Chiang Mai and I tried to get my whole family to move, well, to go to Japan for a couple of weeks and no one wanted to go. So I got like the best air filters I could. And, um, and I went for like two, not quite two weeks, but I, since I was there and I was staying with a friend, I actually just wrote a book by speaking it and then oh, yep. I had it all transcribed and then edited, but, uh, that's the only way I could get it done as well. Well, um, how can our listeners contact you? What's a good way for them to get in touch if they'd like to follow up, if they'd like to help you get that content there sure. or yeah, like to um, have you coach? You can, you can find me on LinkedIn. I do have a, a coaching site, coachk.me um, is an easy one to be able to track me down or just, you know, look me up on, on LinkedIn, Evan, Evan Kubasek. That's why coachk.me is probably easiest, probably the easiest way yeah. to track things down. Um, that's, that's one of those. So what you'll see on that site too is, one of the things that I've, another tool set um, is the idea of temperament, understanding people's temperament, which is different than personality. It's not Enneagram. It's not these other things that people most commonly are familiar with. Uh, temperament is a much deeper God-given um, asset of how people are. You know, it's it's the emotional needs and drivers that people have, which reflected through their life experiences, how they're raised and the character that they've they've been developed and then built a personality. So most assessments measure personality, which sits at the top. Um, temperament also addresses the strengths that we have and explains why we have strengths. So it's like strengths finder where you've got these, they don't change over time. So I'm part of my coaching. That's one thing that I always do. Um, even so even teaching, right? So I can generally see clues to a student's temperament or a person's temperament and how they carry themselves, how they talk, how they act, how they respond to certain things. So I can teach to someone's temperament so that they understand a concept better. Some people, they need to have just the facts and not pressured into an outcome. Other people need to have it show and dance and song and make sure it's real exciting because it's not, they don't hear it, right? So understanding yeah. what people need to hear and how they need to hear it so it can register with them. Uh, so if, we, if you find coachk.me, you'll see references to temperament and temperament coaching. That's that's, that's very strong on the individual side um, to know that, um, which gives them the skill set. So I've also discovered there's, you know, we all know there's certain temperaments, there's certain types of um, archetypes or personas that make good entrepreneurs that's directly correlated to a specific temperament type. 
So if someone yeah. doesn't have that, I won't work for them in a capacity where I, I know if someone has the raw God-given ability to do what entrepreneurs have to do. They either have that energy in the driver, they don't. I can yeah. teach you what they do, but I can't give you that fire. Yeah. And that's directly tied to his type of temperament. So that's one of the reasons why I got into it is like, this is a fantastic skill. I will be able to know if someone's going to be truly capable of doing what they yeah. need to do as an entrepreneur in 54 questions. Yeah. So it's a really interesting skill set. So anyways, yeah, and long story short, coachk.me is probably the easiest way to track me down, but LinkedIn's great. I'm there a lot. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Evan. Appreciate uh, your time. And um, yeah, it was, uh, we prayed before. Um, and one of the things I prayed for was that we would both gain things from this. And I know that I did. So thanks for your time. Awesome. BAM School, facilitating a global self-funding disciple-making movement through business. Thanks for tuning in to the BAM School podcast. Find show notes, free courses, resources, and more at forbam.com.